Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin. Our essay this week is called Memories of My Ignatian Retreat. It's based upon the lectionary readings for Sunday, April the 9th, 2017. This is a guest essay by novelist Ron Hansen. Ron's many books include, most recently, from 2016, The Kid, from 2011, A Wild Surge of Guilty Passion, and then from 2008, his well-known book, Exiles. Ron Hansen is currently the Gerard Manley Hopkins Professor in the Arts and Humanities at Santa Clara University, where he also earned a Master of Arts in Spirituality back in 1995. A guest essay for Palm Sunday by Ron Hansen. Some years ago, I was a participant in a month-long silent retreat with the spiritual exercises of Ignatius Loyola. The format was a so-called first week, for it can be much longer, of developing a sense of God's presence in the world, our personal sin, and how to orient oneself to God in a way from worldly attachments. Some retreatants spend the whole 30 days there. In the second week, retreatants develop a deeper friendship with Jesus, witnessing his preaching, his miracles, his way of being in order to imitate him more closely in our own lives. It was a rather joyful <coughs> and comfortable place to be, and I could have stayed there much longer as I dreaded the third week in its contemplations of the persecution and execution of Jesus. But I had a dream one night that I was casually bicycling on a road through the lovely woods with Jesus when we encountered a creek that was in flood. Jesus got off his bike and rolled his robe up over his knees in order to wade across. Looking over his shoulder, he saw that I was unmoving and said, I have to go over to the other side. I am my death. I recounted that dream to my spiritual director the next morning, and he wisely understood it as my own metaphorical interpretation of Palm Sunday and of God's decisive call for me to finally enter the third week of the exercises that I had been resisting. But my director was troubled by I am my death. What did I think was meant? And it struck me then, as now, that in every Catholic site I have visited in America or internationally, the principal image, even the focus in the church, was of a Jesus nailed to a cross and writhing in agony. His dying is ever-present. I am my death makes perfect sense on an iconic level. I seem to recall that in my childhood, Palm Sunday and the Passion of the Lord were not joined as two gospel readings on the same day. The Passion, read or dramatized from the Gospel of John, was for the end of Holy Week. But the humiliation and suffering of the crucifixion are of such significance to Christianity 
that it was thought too important to somehow miss if one was otherwise obligated on Good Friday. And so we have Jesus entering Jerusalem on a donkey via the Mount of Olives in a conscious imitation of the prophecy of Zechariah that God's anointed one would arrive in that way and also as a sarcastic comment on the arrogance and panoply of Roman officials entering the city. The triumphant, exalted exclamations of Hosanna from the followers of Jesus would, of course, in five days become jeers of derision with acclamations to go along with the judgments of the Sanhedrin to crucify him. And so our Palm Sunday begins in exhilaration and ends with regret and sadness. Back in 2004, I was happily invited to Icon Studios in Los Angeles to view a preliminary cut of The Passion of the Christ with its director, Mel Gibson, present, along with about 30 representatives of the crew and media. I found it a wrenching, powerful, important film and commented afterward that at various times in the watching you find yourself either weeping or praying. Carefully reading the four gospel accounts of the Passion can have the same result. But Holy Saturday, when Jesus lies dead, is given short shrift in our liturgies, as it's generally ignored in the passage from Good Friday to the Easter Vigil. But on that long Ignatian retreat in Massachusetts, I attempted to contemplate Holy Saturday and felt that I had failed utterly. Although I had been happy at the Easter Point Retreat House, developed a satisfying and prayerful daily routine, and loved walking along the Atlantic shore near Gloucester, waves bursting against its granite boulders, I found myself contemplating Holy Saturday on my twin bed in my cell, strangely bereft and crying and profoundly depressed, capable only of listening over and over again to Amadeus Mozart's gorgeous Ave Verum Corpus about the body of Jesus lying in state. It was a day full of loneliness, grief, and gloom that I couldn't explain. I confessed my failure the next morning to my spiritual director, and he seemed shocked that I didn't recognize what had happened to me, saying, Don't ask for a grace and not expect to get it. I saw then that I had been privileged to experience what the disciples of Jesus felt on Holy Saturday. Their hopes dashed, their faith in ruins, all their former longings haunting them. Without the zest of Palm Sunday, without the grander future that they had anticipated, the grief was not just over the loss of a friend, but of their very reason for being. And so, this week, we need to dwell on that and all the inspiring and upsetting events of Holy Week in order to fully appreciate the victory of Easter Sunday. A guest essay by the novelist Ron Hansen. For books this week, I review a novel. It's called War and Turpentine, 
The author is Stefan Hertmans, New York Pantheon, 2016. This book is 290 pages long. A few months before he died in 1981, at the age of 90, First Sergeant Major Urbain Joseph Emile Martien, an artist and decorated veteran who served on the front lines in World War I, gave his grandson, Stefan Hertmans, two notebooks. At the age of 72, almost 50 years after the war, Urbain had started to record his experiences of the Great War. He wrote for 17 years, 600 pages of memories. Stefan Hertmans, a prominent Flemish poet, novelist, and playwright, didn't look at those notebooks for 30 years. He says that he was too scared. But as the 100th anniversary of the war approached, in 2011, he began to read the diaries as a way to honor his grandfather, Urbain. He then turned those diaries into this novel of autobiographical fiction. The original Dutch version was published in 2013, translated into 20 languages, won many awards, and then was published in English in 2016 and subsequently named on many Book of the Year lists. The Guardian in England even called it, quote, a future classic. In part one, the grandson narrates the early years and family history of his grandfather, Urbain. It was a life of Dickensian poverty, begging for coal and working in the foundry from the age of 13 which, he later learned, explained the strange purple indentations that the little boy remembers seeing on his grandfather's back. But there was always the beauty of art. Urbain's own father, Franciscus, was a lowly church painter of frescoes. Part two makes for difficult reading, as well it should, for it's a first-person account of Urbain's war experiences the smell of charred flesh, drinking water from canals filled with bloated corpses, endless days in trenches filled with ice, mud, and rats, waking up so cold that your wet uniform was frozen stiff as a board, and everywhere and always the panic, confusion, death, disease, and deserted villages. Urbain returned home and took early retirement at the age of 45 as a disabled veteran, left to wrestle with the demons deep inside. Part three of the novel circles back to another deeply painful experience that formed Urbain's life. Not long after getting engaged to his beloved Maria Amelia, she died of the Spanish flu the virus that killed a hundred million people around the world just after the horrors of World War I. And so Urbain married Maria's sister, Gabrielle, who became his wife of 40 years. These last decades were also times when Urbain returned to what he had always wanted to do, which was to paint like his father. And so Urbain's lifelong battle between the transcendent, which he yearned for, 
and the memory of death and destruction which held him in its clutches. He was tossed back and forth between the soldier he had to be and the artist he'd wished to become. War and Turpentine by the Flemish writer Stefan Hertmans. For movies this week, the very well-known Manchester by the Sea. Written and directed by Kenneth Lonergan, this film premiered at the 2016 Sundance Film Festival and was screened at numerous other festivals, including Telluride, Toronto, New York, and London. It went on to win numerous nominations and awards, including five Golden Globes. The plot is simple. When Lee Chandler's brother Joe died of a sudden heart attack, he's shocked to learn from the attorney that he has been entrusted with his teenage nephew, Patrick. Joe has lived a hard life. He's a janitor in Quincy, Massachusetts. The funeral is delayed by winter weather and Lee must sort out his brother's estate. So he reluctantly moves back to his hometown of Manchester by the sea. He moves in with the teenage Patrick who has been estranged from his mother Elise because of her substance abuse problems. Life with Patrick raises the ghosts of his own family traumas and all the reasons why Lee left Manchester by the sea. A house fire that killed his own three children, his suicide attempt, and a subsequent divorce from his wife. The pain is aggravated when his former wife asks to attend Joe's funeral and shows up pregnant with her new husband. Other factors intensify Patrick's resentment toward the emotionally distant Lee, who is a far different man when we meet him than the former happy-go-lucky family man that Patrick had remembered. As you might expect, there's little closure in a story of grief like this one. Manchester by the Sea. And finally, for Palm Sunday and Holy Saturday, we've posted a poem by Denise Levertov. It's called Icon, the Harrowing of Hell. Down through the tomb's inward arch he has shouldered out into limbo to gather them, dazed from dreamless slumber. The merciful dead, the prophets, the innocents just his own age, and those outnumbered others waiting here unaware. In an endless void he is ending now, stooping to tug at their hands, to pull them from their sarcophagi, dazzled, almost unwilling. Didymus, neighbor in death, Golgotha dust still streaked on the dried sweat of his body no one had washed and anointed is here. For sequence is not known in limbo. The promise given from cross to cross at noon arches beyond sunset and dawn. All these he will swiftly lead to the paradise road. They are safe. 
That done, there must take place that struggle no human presumes to picture. Living, dying, descending to rescue the just from shadow, were lesser travails than this, that is, to break through earth and stone of the faithless world back to the cold sepulchre, tear-stained stifling shroud, to break from them back into breath and heartbeat and walk the world again, closed into days and weeks again, wounds of his anguish open and spirit streaming through every cell of flesh so that if mortal sight could bear to perceive it, it would be seen his mortal flesh was lit from within now and aching for home. He must return first in divine patience and know hunger again and give to humble friends the joy of giving him food, fish, and a honeycomb. The Harrowing of Hell by Denise Levertov Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net for Sunday, April the 9th, 2017, Palm Sunday. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin.